Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Amen. As you grab your seat, grab your copy of God's Word, go with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. You know, this is not news to anyone, beloved, but we live in a very strange day, to put that lightly, isn't it, right? I mean, a very confused day, a very dark day. We live in a day that requires great courage and faith in God. It's interesting. We, we, we live in a day and age where almost anything goes, right? Do whatever you want. All of the moral boundaries are encouraged to be busted up, to be thrown away, to be crossed over, but there is one major moral absolute that reigns in today's American culture. And it's this, thou shalt not offend. Whatever you do, man, you better not offend somebody. I mean, safe spaces are being created where nobody's allowed to offend you and everybody tells you that you're amazing. Protests are popping up, speakers are being canceled and disinvited, uh, sponsors are dropping people, shows are being canceled, people are dogpiling on social media platforms for the smallest of things. In fact, I just microaggressed somebody by calling some of those reasons that people jump on people really small. I mean, like that teenage girl, bless her heart, that teenage girl who is not of Chinese descent, who wore a traditional Chinese dress to prom. She thought it was a beautiful dress. And social media blew up over it. How dare she culturally appropriate that? That's what so many said. You never know what might trigger somebody today. And because of that, property is being destroyed. Personal violence is being threatened and even perpetrated. Why? Because somebody, somewhere, said something that somebody else found offensive. Matt Groening, the creator of the Simpsons TV show, and no, I'm not of any kin to Bart Simpson, even though I've been asked a million times over the years. Matt Groening, um, he got himself in some hot water lately uh, for not being sensitive enough with one of his characters, and he offended people. And I say, imagine that, the Simpsons TV show offended somebody? I mean, that's what, that's what they've done for the past 30 years. I mean, this is the show that had like the main character, Bart Simpson, his most famous quote was, eat my shorts, man. That was his most famous quote, okay? So imagine that, 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 that the show actually offended somebody, but he made his career out of that. But apparently he recently offended the wrong people. And so instead of caving in like so many people do, though, when the hounds of the offended are released on him, Graining stood his ground, and he spoke with incredible insight into our culture, into this strange culture that we live in. He said this, he said, I think it's a time in our culture when people love to pretend they're offended. And I believe that's true. You see, whether one is really offended or not, the mere claim of being offended has become weaponized in the battle of ideas, right? The, 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 the idea of being offended has become the trump card in any debatable topic. Man, throw down the you offended me card and the debate is immediately closed. You win. Well, as we continue this morning in our series, Radical, the hard sayings of Jesus, you might imagine in this series, Jesus is going to say some things that are going to offend people, right? That's the very nature of a hard saying. And we're about to look at one of the most offensive passages 
in all of Scripture. Contemporary culture finds this saying very hard, very offensive. If Jesus were to tweet these words today, man, the backlash would be swift, it'd be colossal. The world today says, if you love me, you must never offend me. But biblical Christianity says something different. Biblical Christianity says, if I love you, I must chance offending you to share with you the truth of God's word. Let me say that again. Biblical Christianity says, if I love you, I must chance offending you to share with you the truth of God's word. You should never, church, love to offend people. But there are times when you must offend to love. That's the title of this morning's message, Offend to Love. And that's the very chance that Jesus is taking here in our text today. So I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God today. John chapter 14, verse 6. One verse, but loaded with offensiveness. (laughs) It says this, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray together. Fathers, we see this text shape our thinking to conform to your word. God, we don't want to think like the world. It's so easy to do that. It's the water that we swim in, God. We want to think like you. We want to think biblically. We want to think godly. We want to think in a Christ-like manner. So just as a moment ago, as Pastor Will led us to sing, that you would mold and fashion us. God, we ask that you would do that now through the preaching of your word. Father, if there is anybody under the sound of my voice today who who will be offended by the words that I'm about to say, God, I pray that that offense would be short-lived and it would quickly be replaced with joy in Jesus. That's what I'm aiming for. And so we thank you for Christ. It's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. As you grab your seat, amen. Jesus here in John 14, 6, he he proclaims and declares the exclusivity of himself as the only savior of humanity. Now, hopefully as I read that, you didn't get too offended. If you did, Danny Atwood has set up a safe space out in the Connection Center (laughs) with milk and cookies, okay? Now, kids, that was a joke. All right, before all the kids all of a sudden, hey, I got to go to the bathroom, mom and dad, you know, to sneak out and get the milk and cookies. There, there are no milk and cookies. I was only kidding, okay? But what Jesus said here is potentially very offensive. He says there's no other way but Jesus, right? There's no other truth but Jesus. There's no other life but Jesus, and that nobody goes to heaven without going through Jesus. And someone will say, How dare you offend me, Jesus? Beloved, Jesus was willing to offend you because he loves you. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're a Christian, you should be willing to do the same, okay? We're followers of Jesus, right? And Jesus was willing to offend because he loves. And we should be willing to do the same. So here's today's takeaway. Here's what I want you to walk away with as you leave Eastwood today. Today's takeaway is this, love somebody enough to chance 
offending them with the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus alone. I'm going to say it again. Love somebody enough to chance offending them with the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus alone. If we're going to do that this morning, we have to reject two things and embrace one thing. First, if you're going to love somebody enough to chance offending them with the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus alone, you must first reject the notion that truth is relative to the individual. Reject the notion that truth is relative to the individual. And so through the, the process or the influence of postmodern philosophy and the soft sciences of sociology and anthropology, which I, I'm a sociology major, I, I know what it's all about, this idea of relativism began to trickle out into society and began to dominate. Relativism is this, basically, when, when the questions are asked, is this right or wrong, or is this true or false, relativism answers, it depends. That's what relativism does, right? When asked, is this right or wrong, or is this true or false, relativism answers, it depends. It depends on who you are. It depends on where you're from. It depends on your past experience. Relativism says, what is right for you may not be right for me. And what is true for you might not be true for me. And so, again, relativism says that it can be really true over here and the very opposite thing be true over there. That's what relativism says, is that, is that truth is not mutually exclusive. We can both hold the polar opposites and both be right. You say, how can that be? Well, that's because the arbiter of right and wrong, true or false, has been moved from this objective standard outside of us and has now come based upon the individual, right? On the subjective individual. Every person under this thinking gets to determine what's right and wrong for themselves in the paradigm of relativism. And so from this viewpoint, there is no absolute truth whatsoever. Now think about that just for a moment. The, the very statement, there is no absolute truth, is a self-contradictory statement, okay? Right? Because to say that there is no absolute truth is actually to make an absolute truth claim, okay? So just throw that out there. We're not going to go down that rabbit trail long, but who needs logic and reason really, right? Who needs to be consistent in 2018 anyway? But here in John 14, 6, Jesus makes an absolute truth claim. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Contemporary culture says, you go your way and I'll go mine. And they're both equally right and good. But Jesus says, you may go any way you want, but there's only one right way. Every other way, every other road is a dead end. Only one road ends in heaven with the Father, and that road's name is who? Jesus, that's right. Someone would protest, but Jesus, your truth is not my truth. And Jesus, with a loving smile, would respond, the only truth that's really true is Jesus' truth, my truth. If you're going to show love to people, and that's what you're called to do, right? Right? Love God and love your neighbor. That's the calling on your life. 
If you're going to do that, you must reject the notion that truth is relative to the individual. If relativity is true, then evangelism is a waste of time, isn't it? There's no good, better, or best in relativity. There's only good. But Jesus here makes it very clear that there is indeed a superior way, a superior truth, a superior life. Now, will that offend some people? Sure it will. But I pray that you would love somebody enough to chance offending them with the truth. Otherwise, by default, you are consigning them to an everlasting hell. You see, you have the antidote. You have the antidote that will save people's lives, save them from hell. His name is Jesus. And you must risk offending people to save them. So, you must reject the notion that truth is relative to the individual. Second this morning, if you're going to love somebody enough to chance offending them with the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus alone, you must, number two, reject the paralyzing ambition of political correctness. Reject the paralyzing ambition of political correctness. Political correctness is the idea that people should be careful to not use language or to behave in a way that would offend a particular group of people. So what's the difference between moral relativism and political correctness? Here's the difference. Moral relativism says that he can be true and I can be true and we can believe the opposite things. Okay? Political correctness says this. I can be right and they can be wrong, but I'm just not going to keep it to myself. That's what political correctness does, right? Political correctness, say it another way. Political correctness is valuing people's feelings more than truth. You ever thought about it that way? That's what political correctness really is. It's valuing people's feelings more than truth. To be politically correct, you, you hold back from saying things that really are true because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Now, there's a good chance that for many of you in here this morning, one of your biggest motivations is not wanting to hurt people's feelings. You're a really nice person. You are a kind person, and you don't want to see anybody hurt. Or maybe you're more like me. It's not so much that you're worried about their feelings, but you really want them to like you. You don't want them to, to, to think ill of you or think poorly of you. You want them to think highly of you. So let me say this, though. If your biggest goal in life is to not see anybody get their feelings hurt, then you'll never see somebody come to know Jesus. Let me say that again. It's really important that you get this. If your biggest goal in life is not to see anybody get their feelings hurt, then you'll never see somebody come to know Jesus. Because the first step, guys, in being saved is to learn that you need saving. Right? The first step is to learn that you're a sinner who's transgressed the law of God. Scripture's clear. You are not morally good. You've loved other gods. You've created and given yourself to idols. You've belittled the name of God. You've ignored the rest that is found in God. You've disobeyed your parents. You've at least murdered people in your heart and in your mind and maybe even murdered somebody in real life. 
You've had intimate relations with somebody who is not your wife, at least in your mind and in your heart. Or maybe you've even done it in real life, right? You've committed adultery with somebody in real life. You've stolen, you've lied, you've sinfully wanted what other people have. And that's just the top ten, church. That's just the top ten, right? You are a sinner who rightly deserves the everlasting wrath of God. And when you stand before the almighty, holy God, that's exactly what you've earned and will experience forevermore in hell. You see, unless a person comes to understand this, they will never put on Jesus. As long as they think that everything is okay, There is no reason to put on Jesus. And they'll never come to hear this from you if your ambition is to be politically correct. There are two topics that polite conversation always avoids. What are they? Politics and religion. Guess what? Sometimes we need to risk being seen as impolite. So that we might win people to Jesus. Take the chance of offending them and afflicting them with the guilt of their sin. You see, they need to understand how badly they need Jesus. Otherwise, they'll never put him on. Picture for just a moment a passenger seated on a plane. You got it in your mind? That that, that airplane going through the air and there's the passenger in the passenger seat. And picture that he's asleep. Sound asleep. He's got his... He's got his uh, noise-canceling headphones on. He's listening to music. He's snoring. I mean, he is out. He is dead to the world. He is in deep, deep sleep. And the captain, to his absolute horror, realizes all of a sudden that the plane's gas tank has a hole in it and that they're losing fuel rapidly. They will run out of fuel before they can land that plane. Their only hope is to strap on a parachute, right? Take emergency measures, strap on a parachute, throw open the door and jump out and let the parachute take them to safety. And so what does the pilot do? He quickly puts on his parachute and then he tells the stewardess and she in a panic puts on her parachute and then she looks over to that passenger who is sleeping Headphones on. He even has that little thing that you put over your eyes to keep out the darkness. He is completely oblivious to the world. And she wonders as she looks at him, should I risk waking them up and telling him the bad news? I mean, she's seen over the years how ugly people can get when they're awoken up suddenly when they're trying to get a nap on an airplane. And she tosses it back and forth in her mind. And, and, and finally she decides... It's not worth the risk. And she lets the man sleep while she and the pilot jump off the plane. And as they float down safely on their parachutes, they grimace when the plane, along with that sleeping man who never knew what was coming, crashed to the ground and burst into flames. Beloved, I say to you this morning that that's what basically you and I do when we choose to value someone's feelings over truth. That's what we're basically doing when we value, when we choose to value people's feelings over truth. Yeah, 
I mean, he was, he was comfortable for a moment, right? He was comfortable in the moment, but a crash was coming. The end was coming. That's what happens when political correctness rules the day. You see, we have the news. We have the parachute to save them. And yet, you and I often refuse to chance offending them. And we watch them die an eternal death. Let's let that play out a little different way. Let's, let's take that scenario again and let's play it out in a different way. Let's say the steward has seized the man sleeping, got the blinders on, got the noise-canceling headphones on, he is dead asleep, snoring and all that stuff, and she looks at him and she says, oh no, I, he, he'll probably get really angry with me when I wake him up. But instead, she loves that man too much because he's a fellow human being. Right? She didn't really know the man from Adam. He just bought a ticket. But he's a fellow human being. And she loved him too much to simply let him sleep until he dies. She's willing to take the risk. She's willing to let truth in that moment, the plane's about to crash, trump his momentary feelings. And so she wakes him up. Sir, sir, I, I hate to tell you this terrible news, but the plane is about to crash. It's about to go down. We're losing fuel. Your only hope is to put on this parachute and to jump out with us. And as you might imagine, when that man first wakes up, he's startled and he's confused and he's angry and he has this look of, I could bite your head off, look at the woman. He's very angry in the moment, but after he comes to his senses and he realizes what she's saying is true, he grabs the parachute, he puts it on and jumps out just in time with the pilot and the stewardess. And as they safely float down, they watch the plane blow up into a million little fireballs. And with tears of thankfulness and joy, the man who was sleeping says to the stewardess, thank you. Thank you so much for waking me up and helping me get to safety. So, beloved, I, 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 I share that illustration to say to you, you have a choice, right? Yeah, some people will get mad when you try to wake them up and tell them to put on Jesus. But those who do put on Jesus, they will be eternally thankful to you. They will overflow with thankfulness and joy. Don't let political correctness paralyze you. Reject that junk, man, and chance Showing somebody true love. Finally, if you're going to love somebody enough to chance offending them with the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus alone, you must finally embrace biblical love that kindly calls people to Jesus alone. Embrace, right? We rejected two things. We're, we're rejecting relativism. We're rejecting political correctness, but finally we're embracing biblical love. Biblical love. You see, biblical love cannot remain silent. Biblical love cannot sit idly by. Biblical love will kindly call people to Jesus alone. Now that word there, kindly, that adverb kindly is a very important word. 
You see, some of you have gotten in your brains that you can't share the gospel with somebody unless you're being a jerk, right? You think that you've got to be the, you're going to hell and all this stuff, and you've got to get loud and ugly like the guy maybe you've seen at Western Kentucky University or some of those folks, right? They're just pounding people and so angry and calling to Jesus. Listen, you don't have to be a jerk. The gospel is offensive enough. You don't have to add to the offense by being a jerk. Rather, you should be as winsome as you can be. You don't approach them as holier than they are. You don't approach them as better. You approach them as a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You're just a beggar that another beggar told you about it, and so on and so forth, beggar after beggar after beggar, and now you're just a beggar going to another beggar, telling them where the bread is. Or you approach them as a sinner saved by grace, offering grace to a sinner who needs grace. That's why when I share the gospel, and particularly use the Ten Commandments, and I ask the question, have you ever told a lie? They say, yeah, I've told a lot of lies. One of the things I often always say right along with that is, so have I. Right? I mean, I, I want to I I get in there with them. I, wanna, I want them to see that, that I'm with them. I'm not different from them. I'm a sinner who needs grace just like they do. So approach them as a sinner saved by grace, offering grace to a sinner who needs grace. Approach them finally with love for their soul and care for their eternity. One of the biggest things that you can say is not, well, you just, you'll get your just dessert someday. You know, we, don't, we don't leave it like that. We leave it as, listen, I just want you to understand that I care for you. I know what the Bible says is coming for you. And I'm not doing this to make you feel bad. I'm doing this that you might see Jesus and be saved. But however you approach them, and you've all got your own way, with your own personality, your own gifting, whatever way you approach them, you must approach them. That's what biblical love does. And when you do, you point them to Jesus alone. He's the only answer. He's it. He's the only answer because he's the only savior, right? He's the only one who was God in the flesh. He was the only one who lived that perfect life of holiness that earned heaven. He's the only one who died the death we deserve, paying for the sins of every man, woman, boy, and girl who will believe on him. He's the only one who rose again from the dead on the third day. I declare to you this morning that Allah and Muhammad did not do that. Buddha did not do that. Joseph Smith and Elohim didn't do that. Charles Taze Russell and Jehovah didn't do that. Confucius didn't do that. One million Hindu gods didn't do that. Your good works didn't do that. Who did that? Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Come on. <laughs> That's right. Only Jesus did that. Therefore, Jesus alone is their only hope. Their only hope. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. 
So I'm calling you this morning to embrace something. Embrace biblical love by timely calling them to Jesus alone. Again, this morning, what are you to walk out here with? I want you to love somebody enough to chance offending them with the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus alone. And when I asked that question just a moment ago, what do I want you to walk out here with? Somebody said, Jesus. Amen, that's right. That's absolutely right, Sam. That's who I want you to walk out with. If you don't have Jesus, today is your opportunity to receive Jesus. Will people charge you of being exclusive? You Christians think you got the only way? You Christians this and that? Yeah, they'll say you're exclusive. They'll say that you're a hater. They'll say that you're intolerant. Or they'll call you a lot of names. They'll say whatever they can say to try to get you to shut up. But the love of God commands you. And the love of God controls you. And the love of God has told you to open up your mouth and share the love of Jesus and risk offending people. Here's my final prayer this morning. May your exclusive call to Jesus lead to the inclusion of many into the kingdom of God. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. 
Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.